listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, Anthem Church. If you got your Bibles, you can open them up to Galatians. We'll be in the New Testament. We're starting our new series. Uh, we're going to be in this book for about, I think, 11 weeks, and so get used to it here. So Galatians, as you guys are opening up there, um, just want to start with a little bit of an illustration. Have you ever, like, been meeting with somebody? Maybe you went to Panera, grabbed a bagel, and then you get back in your vehicle, and, like, you look in the mirror to, like, back out, and you look, and you see yourself, and you, like, have something on your face or perhaps in your teeth? Is that ever only me? Okay, right. I have you, like, that that moment where you're like, I was just interacting with this person for a long time, and they never bothered to mention, like, there's cream cheese on my face, or there's something in my teeth. Uh, that's wrong. Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy multiplies kisses, and so they're not being your friend in that moment, because if they were your friend, they would tell you. So this happened in a whole new way uh, with me here at this church this summer. Some of y'all are guilty, so listen up, okay? One of these mornings, this is summertime, one of the mornings I came in to do, like the tech team, help set everything up, right? And so here I am just kind of working away amongst this group of people and, uh, and things, business as usual, um, you know, and when you get up to do this whole tech team thing, like rolling out of the house at like 5.30, like I'll even just like pack the toothbrush and toothpaste and like do that here. It's like you don't even look at yourself. You just show up, right? So the probability of something being a little off is heightened. And so here I am working around this team of people for probably about a half an hour. And Luke, I think you need to get something at the office. And so Luke shows up a little bit later. And the first thing that Luke says is I see him out there. He's like, what is on your face? To me, I'm like, there can't be anything on my face. Surely somebody would have said something by now if there's something on my face. He's like, no, dude, under your eye, you have something. And he gets a little bit closer, and he looks, and he's like, you have a tick under your eye, sucking your blood. I had worked for a half an hour around people, and no one bothered to tell me that I had a tick on my face. I came back in, I'm like, do you all hate me? Like, is that, like, there is no love, okay? And so I'm like, somebody wound me, because what's the thought process? It's like, well, you know, I'd hate to make it awkward for them. More awkward than like a tick on their face? Like, okay, so the right thing would be to, to when somebody has something like that, maybe a glaring something, to, can we just agree that you would want to hear that? right? That you would want to be told that because living with a tick on your face or the cream cheese on your cheek, like that is more awkward and more painful. So it'd be quicker if somebody just loved you enough and thank you, Luke, that you love me enough to tell me that. Rest of y'all, we got to work on that. But, but to, to just tell somebody. And so by way of introduction, Galatians, and this is a group, they got, they got cream cheese, like on their cheek and on this cheek and in their hair, like they are a mess and they don't even know it. And so Paul hears about this and he's taking the occasion to write this letter in love to address what is painfully obvious. And so he is bluntly 
going to tell them what is wrong and show them what is right. So Paul is being a true friend, and so he writes to them, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia. And so we're going to stop there. we got 11 verses to get through, but right away we see the author and the audience. And so the author is Paul. We don't have to question who wrote the letter. Paul, and he refers to himself as an apostle. And he wasn't voted to be an apostle. If you remember from Acts 9, if, if not, you can go back and see how Jesus himself appeared to Paul on this road to Damascus. And so he's saying, I, I'm an apostle, not from man or, or through man, but, but, but Jesus appointed me. <laughs> like, he, he goes ahead and puts that out there on his resume. Jesus called me to be an apostle. And so he's clearly indicating that, that he's God's man and this is God's message. It wasn't that he was appointed by man and it's not that this message was received, but it's received directly from Jesus himself. And so that's the author, and the audience is Galatia, okay? And so in there, thus, the title of the book, Galatians. And so now, when he wrote to Ephesus, we have Ephesians, or when he wrote to Corinth, we have the Corinthians. Galatia, there's a map. Galatia is actually a region, and there's a number of different towns that make this up. And so you kind of see where it's at in relationship to uh, Ephesus and so on. But you have Iconium, Lystra, Derby, uh, Antioch is in there as well. And so this is this region that he's writing to. Thus, there are churches, if you go back to Acts 13 and 14, you see that he goes to a number of these different places. He goes and he shares the gospel here, and then if they don't respond well, or he gets run out of town, he kind of goes to the next city and shares the gospel. And so he's writing to a region. And thus, he's writing to the churches, plural. Okay, so there's a number of people, number of churches that are receiving this. And so when we say Galatians, it's just that if somebody's from Iowa, you're like, oh, you're an Iowan. Or you're from the Midwest, you're Midwesterners, okay? You're from this area of Galatia, you're Galatians. And so I just want to share with you, I think maybe we have this on the, the screen. In Acts 14, let me just give you an example of kind of like the crowd that he was writing to. In Acts 14, this is when he, uh, he, he was there. He, he said, even though, so he goes into, uh, this is in Lystra, or sorry, uh, Lystra I think is where he's at. And uh, he heals a man in Acts 14 in Lystra. He's a cripple from birth. And so he heals him. And then the whole town, the context of what's being said here, the whole town is like, oh my word, the gods have come among us. Who has this power? They must be gods, and so you must be Zeus, you must be Hermes. And so this whole town is coming and like, we're going to sacrifice to them. They're going to throw wreaths. And, and, and Paul at one point gets up and he's like, rips his clothes, he's like, stop, like, we're just men. It's, it's by Jesus that we were able to do these things. And again, we're talking like kind of a Greek mythology kind of crowd, and so in Acts 14, the context, he's like, don't offer stuff uh, to us. It's God that healed you. And even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. <laughs> Get this. Then verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium 
and they had won over the crowds. Again, these are the crowds that are trying to sacrifice to them because they think they're gods. They won over the crowds and stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. After the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the town. And then the next day, Barnabas and him, they go on to Derby. <laughs> you get a context of the, the, like, the people. It's like, you guys are gods. Wait, they're not gods? Okay, you guys, uh, stone them. They drag him out thinking he's dead. And you get a little bit of, of like Paul here. Like they think he's dead. They surround and pray for him. He's like, I got to go back into town and tell him some more. This is part of the audience that God had done a work, and now there's a church, perhaps with some of these people making up the church. And so this is the audience that is receiving this letter. God had done a great work in them, but what started, they start to diverge from. And so that's the author, that's the audience, and so what's he saying to them? What's the message that he brought to them that first time that he's reminding them of? Verse 3, 4, and 5. This is the message that he preached to them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. First thing he wants to remind them of, I'm going to set up my little bit of illustration. The first thing he wants to remind them of uh, is the work that Jesus has done in them. So Nick Serene built these crates. He's our resident worship guy, so we're going to see if worship guys can also do some construction here. But... Uh, this idea, the gospel, simply put, in terms of illustration form, God created the world perfect. We were meant to be with him in the garden forever, but Adam and Eve disobeyed God, took the fruit, and from that creates a separation between God and us. Right? And what they started this separation, we quickly made our own. And our sin, when we sin against God and fail to love him and love others, it creates separation, right, between us and God. Romans talks about what we deserve for this sin, what we deserve because of this separation is to be eternally separated from God. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. And so when Paul goes and he preaches to them, and he's trying to help them understand, he, he, he goes on to proclaim this. He says, but, Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this, this gap is bridged through Jesus dying on the cross. And so because of what Jesus has done, this gap is now bridged where sinful man can be with God. So Jesus has bridged this gap through his death on the cross. That's how we can be forgiven. Ephesians goes on to say, for it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, not by works, meaning it doesn't matter if, oh, there's a, there's a gap between us. I'll try and do better next time. I'll try, and, I'll try and not think those thoughts. I'll try and earn it. 
What Paul clearly wanted the Galatians, those people, to understand is you can't earn favor with God. It's only through Jesus that we can be brought back to God. Does that make sense? Like, clearly, Jesus is the one that bridges the gap from sinful man to God because Jesus was perfect. He was the 10 out of 10. He deserved to be with God, and he shed his blood, sacrificed his life for us. And so that's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So Jesus alone saves, putting our faith and our trust in what Jesus has done. And so this is what Paul proclaimed to the Galatians that he's reminding of them, reminding them of this right away. He who gave himself for us, he delivered us from this present age of evil. It's Jesus. And he says that right there in three, four, and five. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the cream cheese part. <laughs> he reminds them, set it up. You remember this, right? Because they kind of forgotten it. And here, here it is. Here's how they diverted from, from this very simple, clean gospel. Verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's going to go on in the same tone in Galatians 3, 1. He's going to say, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In four nineteen, he's going to say to them, my little children, I'm in anguish for you. I just wish I could change my present tone. I'm perplexed about you. They're deserting the gospel. What is this different gospel that he alludes to? You see that in, in, in verse 6? You're turning to a different gospel. Now, there, there is a, another one. It's going to be revealed later in the book. And again, we're going to have a lot of time to unpack it, but I just kind of want to fly over the way of intro. The different gospel that is being preached is circumcision. Some of you guys are like, what? If you don't know what circumcision is, you can ask your parents, right? Now, I'll give you a, a brief idea, right? Circumcision happens in boys where they take the extra skin from, and they trim it off. And what is being preached in this primarily Gentile region that would not have been circumcised, what is being taught is these Jews, likely the same ones that came along and said, oh, these guys aren't right. These Jews that got Paul stoned the first time, these Jews came along afterwards, and what they were saying was, oh, you want to be children of God? You want to be right with God? Yeah, Jesus, plus you need to be circumcised. If you want God to see you as one of his children, yeah, the blood of Jesus and accepting him, that, that's good. I'm not saying not that. 
But that little bit of skin, <laughs> you got to take it off. Otherwise, God's not going to love you and receive you. Right? It sounds crazy when I tell you, like, really? That's going <laughs> to, this blood wasn't enough? You got, really? But that's what was being, the perversion that was taking place. Jesus plus circumcision. To which I might think that, that somebody in, in that camp might say, well, it's not about deserting Jesus. You still need Jesus. It's just plus something else. And here's, it drives Paul nuts, and we're going to unpack that. But can you imagine, let me give you an earthly example. Can you imagine somebody's like, oh, I love my spouse. A husband's like, I love my wife. I'm all about my marriage. I just invited somebody else into our bedroom to sleep with us. I just invited another woman into bed. It's not that I don't love my wife. It's just my wife plus this other gal. You're like, oh, that, I don't think you understand marriage if that's the case. I don't think you love your wife if it's your wife plus something else. Because what you're saying when you say Jesus plus, fill in the blank for them, it's plus circumcision, what is you're saying it's by works? It's something that you do, in this case to the flesh, something that you do helps you earn favor. Paul's saying that's not the gospel, that's not good news, and that is contrary to what we see in all of scripture, that it's not something we do, it's what's been done through Jesus. And so to say it's Jesus plus undermines and takes away from the finished work of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so Jesus alone saves. First, by grace we can save through faith, not by works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Romans 3 talks about we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Salvation, how we are saved, cross from death to life is in faith in Jesus alone. That's how it's saved. Now, is it, you can go on, now it's through faith alone in Christ alone, but it's true to be said, genuine faith is never alone. Right, there's gonna be works that, that accompany the, a lifestyle and a genuine faith, but please hear clearly, those works are not part of the salvation equation. Those works do not save you, they're just, as you cross from death, to life and now you're on this side, it's just out of the overflow of what God has done that those works are going to follow. But they don't help you cross from this side to that side. Does that make sense? Because the question would be, and I, and I understand it's like, well, how many good works do you have to do to be saved? None. Zero. It's putting your trust and faith in Jesus. That is how we are saved. And they're perverting that with this other gospel that's not good news. And, and Paul feels strongly about this, verse 8. This Jesus plus theology, he's saying, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. I love even just like the language there, it kind of sounds like, I, Paul, being of sound mind and body, declare to you, like, if I change the message, Paul said, don't listen to me. The first one was the right one, that Jesus alone is, is how we are saved. 
Don't listen to me if I say something different. Don't listen to those Jews if they come along and say something different. He even says, if an angel should come and say something different, it's not an angel of God. And I think of, this is what literally happened with Joseph Smith, the father of Mormonism. All of like 150 years ago, an angel appeared to me and said, it's not enough to just have Jesus, you got to do these things. That wasn't an angel of God, that was a demon. Jesus alone, the gospel has not changed. And so what he's saying is, let them be accursed. That is strong language. In the Greek, it's anathema. Let them be cursed. To curse something is an utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment or something. Another way to say this, this is what it means. So what he's saying is, may God damn that message and that person who would say otherwise. May they be cursed. That's what, he, what it is meaning. May God bring judgment and punishment upon them. May God damn, may he frustrate, may he cast that other gospel to hell. May he be against that. May he damn that. That's what he's saying. May he be accursed. And he says it two times. So it wasn't like, oh, that was an overstatement. I'm doubling down. No, may, may that be cursed. May God damn that message from taking place. And again, it's strong language. And Paul starts, this is the intro talk. Like this is, you wonder how the rest of the chapters are going to go. I mean, the language is set for them right out the gates. And here's the thing. The number of churches receiving this letter, it begs the question, are we immune to the same problems that they were experiencing? I mean, I don't think so. A few weeks ago, just a couple weeks ago, I met with a, a college student who was from a Christian, evangelical, Christian college not too far from here. And the churches that support that college, what they would say is that someone is saved through Jesus, but you also have to be baptized. So unless you get baptized, and again, I'm not saying believers, that isn't a step of obedience, but what they're saying is, but unless you, until you go down under the water, you can ask Jesus to forgive you, you can put your trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, but it doesn't count until you get baptized. The Jesus plus theology is alive and well. There's whole denominations that would say, unless you, you have this spiritual gift, unless you speak in tongues, this angelic language, unless you speak and you manifest this one certain gift, unless you can do that, I don't, I don't know if you're saved. Jesus plus this, and then, yeah, then you're saved. I think it's in our desire to want to earn it in some way. To, I don't know if anybody's intending to try and work Jesus out of a job, but that's what's being done in that moment is was Jesus plus this. And the reality is, is that our evangelical camp isn't immune to it either. Because this camp, I think, one of the ways that we might add to it is that, oh, yeah, trust Jesus but unless you pray the prayer, you really can't be saved. 
Like, do you have that time when you prayed this prayer? And what I mean by that is, is I'm not taking away from oftentimes the, how this takes effect and, and how you own it is through praying, but the number of confidence that I've seen in parents that look to their kids and like, no, my kids are saved. They had that moment at summer camp. Now I know that they lived their life totally against God and they would not profess him here. And, and if you look at the pattern of their life, it seems to say one thing, but <laughs> they got their Bible with the date written in it. And the hope, it's a subtle difference, but understand, the hope in those phrases in those moments is in a prayer, not in the person of Jesus. Okay, it's, a, it's a subtle shift, and I want to create confusion, but the hope is more in a prayer than it is in the person of Jesus. Saying there's nothing, you're going to have a hard time finding in the language of Scripture where a magical prayer somehow unlocks God's favor with us. We're only found favor through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so is our hope in a prayer? It has to be in Jesus this Jesus plus theology should get us worked up. Paul's saying, may, oh, when that comes up, may it be accursed. It is so wrong because here's what's happening. Is what is being communicated, can you imagine? Jesus Christ on the cross, bloody, crucified. As people hit him, blindfolded and say, prophesy, who was it that hit you? but like a lamb led to slaughter. Jesus, who spent his whole life not being served, but serving and giving his life as a ransom for many, who just the night before washed all 24 feet of the disciples, yet they would scatter. Jesus would go to the hill with true, genuine criminals that deserve crucifixion, but like a lamb led to slaughter, silently went there. And the people would stand before the cross and mock him and say, if you're really the son of God, surely you could call yourself down from there. But Jesus, in all of his righteousness, understanding the good plan of God, hung from the cross and said, it is finished. They put him in a tomb, and then God rose him from the dead, defeating death. And when you say Jesus plus tongues, when you say Jesus plus baptism, when you say Jesus plus this prayer, you, what you're doing is you're undermining the gospel and we should be frustrated by that. Should anger us because it's taken away from Jesus. And so it's not like, well, that, that, that's close. And it should drive you as mad as somebody say, I really love my wife and, and I'm just gonna bring somebody else into the marriage. That should anger you because it's, you're missing it. You, through the, a little bit of addition, you're subtracting and you're, you're and he's going to get worked up and again, can't rob from the rest of the books. He's going to say, or you think cutting a little bit makes you righteous with God? He's going to say, I wish you would just go ahead and cut the whole thing off. See how righteous you'd be then. It is, Jesus alone saves. And here, understand, this letter is written to us. It's to the churches. 
in Galatia because he's saying it's, it's the church people that, are, that, are, that start and say, oh, I am so broken. I need God's forgiveness. God, have mercy. Jesus, I trust you. Please forgive me. And then we get on this side and say, okay, I got it from here. And the gospel that saved us is not the gospel that sustains us. This is something in the past. Thankful God saved me. <laughs> I got it from here, God. And you might not think that, but it's when, well, God has favor on me because I read my Bible. My, I, God is, is disappointed with me today. He, and we begin to, to think that God's view of us is somehow now dependent upon what we do. That God's love for us is now conditional. I know that it, it was unconditional and you saved me even when I was far away, but now from here, I've got to earn it from here on out. And he's going to go ahead and clarify this throughout the rest of the scripture, and I can't wait to just soak in it for 11 weeks, but this idea that my wife and I, we're prayerfully considering adoption. We've got four daughters of our own, can't seem to make a boy, so maybe we'll just adopt one in. Uh, but, you know, and then my wife, as we, we sit down, and we hadn't had a date night, you know, since Janessa was really born, and one of our first date nights back, she's like, hey, been thinking, how about we adopt? I'm like, really? This is going to be our topic of discussion. And then, and then she's like, well, you know, if you're adopting one, you might as well just adopt two, you know? And I'm like, okay, huh. trying to wrap my mind around that. And it, it, it makes sense, given what God has done for me and, and the position that, that we're in and the ability to do that. And so praying that my heart would catch up with my head. But, but can you imagine going through that adoption process? And my understanding, you, you go and it's a long process, paperwork, and then you get kind of like the placement, like you're your kids. They live there, but they're your kids. And then going through that, that hard work of, of, you know, the governments and the corruption and this and that and, and working hard and then eventually getting over there. In some countries, I think, you do a visit and you see your kids. And then you fly home without them. And then a little more paperwork. And then finally there's this time where you get to go back and bring your kids And you've adopted them. It wasn't something that, that, that they did that earned your favor. It wasn't something that they did to be brought to this side. But, but, but you adopted them. And that language of adoption, God came up with it first. He's saying, that's what I did to you. I adopted you out of death into life. Now, can you imagine if by God's grace we adopt a couple little boys? Can you imagine somebody grabbing them? This is what happened in Galatia. Someone grabbing them in the church foyer and saying, oh, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody grabbing them in the church foyer and saying, oh, your dad, he'd only love you if you're good at football. Your dad's love, you being a part of the family is conditioned based on how good you are in football. You're only going to be a Hayek if you wear cowboy boots. Other than that, I don't know if, if, if your dad, can you imagine somebody telling my adopted children that? That my love, that their acceptance into the family 
has, is conditioned based on something. And yet that's what happens in Galatia. Somebody comes along and says, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, that, that, that's part of it. But the circumcision, I mean, if you want to be a part of the family. And what Paul is saying is, no. It's through faith alone, in Christ alone, that, that we are adopted. All glory and honor be to him. And anybody that says otherwise, may they be damned. Because that is not the good news. That is not the gospel. And that is not what God has done. And so here's what this practically means. Because again, I think there's this in our heart to want to get on this side and begin to earn favor with God. In our heart that's like, well, God's done a great work, but, but now as his children, and you can imagine adopted little kids trying to to be a part of the family, again, my question is we take communion. Jesus gave us this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is a chance for us to take communion and remember that it's only through Christ's body that was broken, his blood that was shed, that we can be made right with God. And that's why we celebrate that pretty much on a weekly basis here because we do not want to forget it's through Jesus alone. And so don't let this going to the table this morning become just some routine thing. The grace that saved us is what sustains us. The body and blood that was shed and broken for us to not only bring us back, it, it is what gives us life here and now. And so prayerfully, as we take communion, again, how we do that here, if you're visiting or new, you break a piece off and you can dip it in the cup. And there's gluten-free on both the front tables. Again, so we want everybody to be able to celebrate. So there's tables here and tables in the back. And then the other thing, for those connection group leaders and wives present, would invite you guys to kind of make your way to the sides of the table because... Scripture also commands us that we would confess our sins to one another. And if you've been putting your hope in perhaps a relationship, if you've been putting your hope in perhaps a job or a career or, or, or school, if you've been putting your hope in something other than Jesus alone, I would just invite you to confess that to perhaps your connection group leader or, or one of our leaders in the church or uh, one of their spouses to just confess that. And for those that this is new information, that Jesus died for your sins, that you don't have to try and earn favor with God, but we just have to confess our sins to him, and he will faithfully bring us in. If you have never confessed your sins and allowed God to save you, that you could see one of those leaders and pray with them and invite Jesus into your life. Does that make sense? So I'm gonna invite the band up and I'm just gonna give us an opportunity to bow our heads and just prayer here. And I just want you to ask this question kind of in a reflective prayer time. God, would you please 
clarify your love to me. God, would you please show me your love through Jesus? So just go ahead and pray that and pray, again, the prayer that God's love, his unconditional love for us would be reaffirmed here in this moment. So God, please, would you reveal your love to us? Holy Spirit, we just invite you to move and remind us of our status as adopted children. So God, would you please root us in that this morning? And as we go to the table and take communion, God, would you please remind us of how that status was achieved, not through righteousness of our own, not by works so that anyone could boast, but our status as children is purely because you sent your child, your son, to die for us. We wanna take nothing away from that. And so God, we just declare as a church that it's by your body and by your blood that we are redeemed and forgiven. And so God, please, would you meet with us as we do this in remembrance of you on the communion table again and in this time of perhaps confession to leaders and ultimately confessing to you, God, would you refocus us this morning